This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health from conception, pregnancy, to birth and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who've made it from struggling to wellness and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. We discuss very real struggles that can sometimes be hard to hear, but these are stories that need to be told so that moms and families can know that healing is possible. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Thank you for being with us today. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. On this episode, we're talking with author and expert Karen Kleiman. We will talk about some of her essential work and contributions to the field of maternal mental health and how to support perinatal mothers. Karen Kleiman, MSW LCSW, is founder and executive director of the Postpartum Stress Center. Founded in 1988, the Postpartum Stress Center is a treatment and professional training center for pregnancy and postpartum depression and anxiety. She is the author of nine books on perinatal distress, including the groundbreaking title, This Isn't What I Expected, Overcoming Postpartum Depression, now in its second edition, and Therapy in the Postpartum Woman. Her latest book is The Art of Holding in Therapy, an Essential Intervention for Postpartum Depression and Anxiety. She is the creator and instructor of the premier training program for clinicians seeking to specialize in the treatment of perinatal depression and anxiety. Her work has been featured in numerous local, national, and international media outlets over the course of almost 30 years and frequently speaks, teaches, and mentors professionals on the topic of maternal mental health. Welcome, Karen. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you, Kat. Glad to be here. So you have done so much work in the field and really done some really groundbreaking stuff in terms of getting this information out to moms, out to professionals. So maybe you can kind of talk to us a little bit about your work. You know, sometimes when I hear that kind of question, I think this is all I've ever done. You know, I throw in a couple children and a couple, you know, going to the grocery store, but it feels like it's all I've ever done. I will say, first of all, thank you for having me. This is very exciting for me. Right off the bat, I do want to say that I did not have postpartum depression. And I often feel that when I'm asked, I'm never sure if I'm disappointing a woman Mm -hmm. who's asking me or if I'm comforting her. You know, the two questions I get asked most Mm -hmm. 
right away are, do you have children and did you have postpartum depression? Mm -hmm. So I'm never quite sure, you know, depending on who she is and why she's asking if I'm helping her feel better right away or not. But I did have an early postpartum experience that sort of opened my eyes. And that was after the birth of my second child, I was breastfeeding and noticed a lump in my breast. Mm. So I went to the doc. This was a hundred years ago, remember? So I went to the doctor. He didn't like it. Sent me to a surgeon. He didn't like it. He said, I want you to take it out. I said, I'm breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he looked at me like, oh, well, Uh got to take it out. And I'm like, do I have to stop breastfeeding? And he looked at me like, I don't know, you know. So I went home. There weren't resources, and I wasn't sure what to do or how to do it. And of course, you add to that that I'm postpartum, and I'm worried I've got breast cancer, and there was cancer in my family. So long story short, ended up not really getting any good advice, went and had the lump removed, opted to continue to breastfeed, and had one complication after another. And eventually, my surgeon said, you have to stop breastfeeding today, ASAP, right now. Wow. So again, I didn't know where to go, and I called my OB, who I remember saying, I will never forget him saying, find your breasts, restrict your fluids, take two aspirin. Mm -hmm. So I did. I dutifully did. Mm -hmm. I bound my breasts. I restricted my liquids. I took my aspirin. I had milk coming out of every orifice of my body. I had tears coming down my face. I had Mm -hmm. a baby who went from being exclusively breastfed to saying, you know, going to a bottle. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how do I do this? Right. You know? And by the way, you know, the biopsy was fine and, you know, I did not have cancer. Mm. But in the meantime, this I was acutely aware that the needs of postpartum women are falling through the cracks. Where do I go? Yeah. Who do I talk to? My mother-in-law, a psychiatrist, my doctor, the surgeon didn't know anything, the pediatrician didn't know, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was really my first experience that showed me how vulnerable postpartum women are and how quickly they are dismissed by physicians that may or may not have accurate information. And then I will tell you real quickly on top of that, as I was going through my first postpartum year with her, I remember literally sitting in my living room thinking, what do I do with myself as a therapist? Mm. I'm skilled in that area. I love being a mother. These moms are so vulnerable. What do I do? Mm. And how can I sort of create a job for this? And so I did. So I sent out some questionnaires. They were titled, Are You Pregnant and Anxious? Hmm. And I typed it up. You know, this was way before the internet. You know, I'm really dating myself. (laughs) But I typed these things up. I stapled them together and I distributed them in local like baby stores and Toys R Us and Mm -hmm. things like that with self-addressed stamped envelopes. And women filled them out and sent them to me. Had no idea who I was. I was nobody. Mm -hmm. And I got scores of women saying how bad they were feeling. And I thought, what is happening here? Right. So that's when I sort of began to research. And to be honest with you, there was nothing to really research other than finding women who were willing to talk to me and tell me how they were feeling. Mm -hmm. And the very first thing I did as a professional in my decision to be a therapist to specialize in this is I put out a tiny little ad in a local paper and said, local therapist researching postpartum depression and anxiety. If you had a baby recently and don't like the way you're feeling, call me for interview, blah, blah, blah. And I got three phone calls. Mm -hmm. And Each woman came in separately to meet with me for about a half an hour, an hour, whatever. Two of those three women 
this is no joke, were over 70 years old. And these two women separately told me stories that this was the first time they had ever talked to anybody about how bad they felt 50 years ago. Oh, my gosh. And it still gives me the chills when I tell the story today. And they described the shame and the darkness and the can't leave the house for four months and nobody can know how bad I'm feeling and the fear and the scary thoughts and the hopelessness. And can that go away by itself? It absolutely can. We don't want to count on that ever because sometimes it doesn't, you know, but they came in and they described those st- their stories to me. And that's when I felt almost catapulted yeah. to just, I have got to talk to women and see what's going on here. Ooh, wow. Yeah, that's quite an entry into this. I mean, and, these women had been suffering for years, potentially. Correct. And I will tell you that I know it sounds cliche, but when I first wrote, this isn't what I expected... I was sitting there listening to woman after woman after woman essentially telling me the same stories. You know, mm-hmm. nobody's listening to me. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows how bad this feels. Nobody can believe because I look so good and I'm functioning so well mm-hmm. and I'm bullshitting so well mm-hmm. and I'm hiding things so well. Nobody can believe how bad I feel. And woman after woman after woman told me what she needed from me. So that's sort of what we put in a book, you know, and said, okay, this is what we hear is going on. Here's how we think we can help. And to this day, you know, women continue to tell us what they need from us. Now they have more outlets to do so. Uh, Yeah, quite a few more, but still, I'd say still not enough. (laughs) If I can share with you my experience when we revised, this isn't what I expected, Mm -hmm. some 20 plus years later, you know, it was just revised. I don't even have the dates in front of me, but I think it was written in 1994, which is scary, right? I know, big number. I think, I think how old were some of these moms when I first wrote the book? Yeah. And so we revised it in 2013. And this was very interesting to me because this was written with Valerie Davis Raskin, and she and I went through the bulk of the revision was to update the medication and the therapy sections. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, we had to go through the whole book and take out all the 24-year-old references to $5 babysitters and Sony Walkmans, right? (laughs) And, you know, video cassette players and, you know, all the terminology was hysterical for us. Mm -hmm. But what wasn't so funny is that nothing else was different. The entire book we left unchanged. Yeah. The message was exactly the same. Not much had changed right. over two decades. You know, women mm-hmm. are still not telling us how bad they feel, mm-hmm. and healthcare providers are still not asking the right question. And some of us have been pounding on doors for a long time, and things, you know, you don't want to oversimplify this because there are tons of variables, but women, until they feel safe to talk about what they need to say, they're not going to do it. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube. 
and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Right. And healthcare providers, until they have the right resources, until they have the right training and education, until they know what they're looking at, they're not going to know the right questions ask. That doesn't mean they aren't wonderful healthcare providers. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's so important for listeners too, to understand as they are walking into an healthcare provider's office, assuming that that person is going to know what's going on or know how to describe. I mean, just yesterday I had this, a person came in and the doctor was describing to me that the doctor asked them if they were depressed and she said no. But if the doctor had asked if she was anxious, she would have said yes a thousand times. We're not asking the right questions because they don't have the information. Right. Or they have a screening tool, which is very easy to say, here, fill this out and give it back. And it's very easy also for a mom to either not be truthful on that screening tool or to somehow feel dismissed by it. And we can still miss it by what she says. But you're right. You're right. I mean, here we've got an example in your example. I'm asking if you're depressed. That's a good thing for that doctor to do. Right. But it's not enough. Mm-hmm. It's right. not enough. And by the way, even if the doctor said, are you anxious or depressed? Mom often will say no. Right. And so we still need a follow-up question because she's still not sure right. that this particular doctor is going to know what to do with those feelings. Right. So I imagine your level of frustration with providers in general is high because you've been doing this work to try and get people to know and they still don't. Right. Well, okay. So on their behalf, <laughs> I will say that that clearly, you know, for a long time, this was not seen as within the scope of their practice, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So OBGYNs and pediatricians are not mental health providers. Right. And sort of opening up that Pandora's box of thinking that somebody could be, oh my God, you know, just so symptomatic, we don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. If they look good, they're probably fine and they'll just sort of leave it like that. Mm -hmm. Well, what we know about postpartum depression is that's completely untrue and that some of the women who are the sickest actually look the best. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I joke, 
not ha-ha funny, but I joke about one of my books, how women were coming in looking way better than I ever did on my best day, right? Mm -hmm. You know, with everything in place, their hair in place, their clothes in place, their fingernails were polished, their makeup was on. And I'm like thinking, this woman could not be as sick as she said she was on the phone. Mm -hmm. And so that disconnect of a postpartum woman feeling so out of control and needing to present herself as being so in control and doing such a good job yeah. that healthcare providers and her family mm -hmm. think she's fine. Mm -hmm. She's leaving the doctor's office thinking of ways for her to kill herself, you know? Mm -hmm. So when you talk about my professional rage, <laughs> that's a big word to apply to this, but here's how simple it feels to me. When I give a talk to healthcare providers, you know, at this point, we have so much awareness, so much increase in public awareness and also legislative awareness and advocacy. We are talking about it. We are researching it. All of that's awesome. It just amazes me still when we're talking to healthcare providers, when we say something as simple as the baby blues. Mm -hmm. Let's define baby blues. Everybody knows what the baby blues are, right? Mm -hmm. Well, just last week, did a woman come to the postpartum stress center and say that when she was four and a half months postpartum and told her doctor how bad she was still feeling, she was surprised she wasn't feeling better by now. She was not severely depressed. She was just surprised how bad. He said, well, it's the blues mm -hmm. and it can last this long here's what you should be doing. You should be exercising. You should, you know, he gave her some good information. She came to us and, you know, and said, she's been feeling this bad for four and a half months. Why is she being told it's the blues? Mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Right. And so we say when we're defining this, baby blues occurs from birth to two to three weeks postpartum. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's how we define it. That's how we understand it. You know, when we understand the biochemistry of it, the hormonal component, two to three weeks. Nobody should be telling a four and a half month old postpartum woman that she has the blues and not consider the fact that she has a mild depression that is being left untreated. You know? Yes. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing that just makes, you know, steam come out of my ears. <laughs> yeah. But then I call those doctors, you know, I get on the phone, I call the doctors, I say, hey, guess what? <laughs> yeah. Well, right. And that's good that you're reaching out and trying to give them the correct information. It's just unfortunate, really, how much misinformation is still out there and doctors aren't being trained. Uh, right. So, right. yeah. But also, you know, there's also a pervasive belief that there's this, I don't even know the right word. It's like a condescending, patronizing, oh, she has a touch of the postpartum. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't even know what that means. Mm -hmm. But I think having more female doctors now mm -hmm. is a great thing because when I first started knocking on doors, I would be talking to a room full of male OBGYNs who have been mm -hmm. doing this work for a long time who weren't terribly interested in seeing a little cute little social worker telling them, you know, how to treat postpartum depression. And I think more and more physicians, male and female, are taking it more seriously now. Mm -hmm. And women are doing a super good job advocating for themselves. You know, a lot of us have tried over the course of years to empower them. Here, take this to your provider. Yeah. You know, if you can't initiate the conversation, take this form, fill out these whatever, take this to your doctor, show them how bad you're feeling. And women mm -hmm. are doing that. They are definitely, definitely doing that. That's great. 
the piece, though, about scary thoughts, I will just insert here, is that, you know, it's one thing to say how bad I'm feeling. It's another thing to confess that I'm having thoughts of hurting my baby or Mm -hmm. having terrifying images that are unwanted, intrusive, and are not going away. Mm -hmm. Women really don't know who to say that to, and they have to really be very careful about trusting their healthcare provider. And I mean, it's sad to say, but there are a lot of therapists that don't know, you know, who haven't been especially trained that don't know that some of those things are okay too. So Yeah. So I'm thinking of then, you know, kind of imagining you in session with mothers and helping them get to the point where they can talk about this and thinking about your new book, The Art of Holding in Therapy. And I mean, you must be doing a lot of that type of holding and trust building in order for moms to be able to speak about those scary thoughts. Right. So holding is, you know, it's not something I made up, you know, it goes back to Winnicott who talks about mom holding babies and the holding environment and creating a safe space. And he was the first one who also translated that into the psychotherapeutic realm. Mm -hmm. But it came to me because we run a very boutique-y practice Mm -hmm. and Although we have a clear medical model and we believe in the biology and medicine that may need to be part of the treatment plan, but the boutiqueiness really comes from the essence of sort of who we are, you know, not letting women wait, getting them in as much as possible. If they can't pay, we'll see them anyway and reach out and sort of violate boundaries if we think somebody is in trouble. And we sort of just do that human thing, you know? and my team and I would take a look and say, what is it that we're doing that's so great? I mean that, Mm -hmm. you know, like, why are women getting better, faster, because of who we are and what we're doing here even? And I would look at that and the word just sort of came like, we are holding them. Well, what does that mean? Every good therapist is already doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, you're doing it. People who haven't read my book are doing it. Mm -hmm. Every good therapist, especially therapists who are in this field, are really just naturally good holders. They, they do it in their family. They do it with all their clients, whether they're perinatal clients or not. Yeah. And so what this book tried to do is more operationally define it and see that it's not just being a wonderful human being, but that there are skills involved that we need to execute, we need to practice, we need to refine, and we need to continue to work on in order for her to get better. Now, so what makes this different than any other work that we do when we're holding or when we're being a great therapist is sort of the obvious but sometimes easily missed factor that there's a baby involved. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the stakes are high and there's an urgency for symptom relief without delay and without the leeway of what we know as longer term therapeutic process. We can't just sit back and sit with the process the way we can with other clients. She wants to get home. In fact, the very first line in this book is postpartum women do not want to go to therapy. You know, they don't. They're busy. They're sleep deprived. They're exhausted. They're tired. They can't fit one more thing in. Mm -hmm. Seriously, I have to talk to a therapist now. You know, I haven't slept in three days. I haven't washed my hair in a week. Mm -hmm. And I have to talk to a stranger about how I'm feeling. I don't think so. So they want in and out and they want to feel better. And it's different. Our work is very, very different. So I totally didn't answer your question. Um, (laughs) I don't even remember what it was, if you want to get back there to it. But creating a safe space for women to talk about how bad they're feeling, I think was something about that, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Because actually that is a great entry into something that I call authentic suffering. And what I mean by that is I define that as that which is obscured by what she wants us to know and allows us to see. Hmm. Okay. So she will tell you this much and she will tell you that much and she will let you see this piece. But the authentic suffering is what we need to get to. Yeah. You know, and it's what somebody who is especially trained Mm -hmm. to pay attention to the nuances of pregnancy and postpartum Mm -hmm. conditions, that we know how to do that. And that her physician may not know, her mother may not know, her partner may not know, and we learn how to get into her authentic suffering and reach her at that level. Right. So once you've understood and got her to work through the authentic suffering, what have been the benefits that you've seen of her recovery? Well, I will say that that can happen very quickly. And the the obvious benefit is that's when true empathy takes place. I mean, you know, women can be in therapy for six months and go nowhere. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or they can get better, but not get better as well as we think they should. Mm -hmm. Lots of people can go to a very good therapist and be fine, but still not heal to the extent that we hope that she does. So I think it expedites the process Mm -hmm. and it enables us to get, you know, if we can get to the core suffering, then Mm -hmm. we can treat it better. Empathy is authentic then also. Mm -hmm. And the whole process just goes quicker. I mean, my goal is to get her in and out of there as quickly as possible. If she wants to come back for ongoing therapy, then come back after you feel better, after your baby has a safe place to go. It could be four years later when she comes back to talk Mm -hmm. about her marriage or whatever. But the goal for us is to just get her give her symptom relief to the point that enables her to just go home and take care of herself and her baby. The sooner she can tell us how bad she's really feeling, the Mm -hmm. sooner she feels safe enough to tell us the extent to which she's suffering, the sooner we can reassure her that, that, for example, that those thoughts that she's having that she's so terrified of disclosing Mm -hmm. are actually not worrisome to me at all. And she says, what? Mm-hmm. I said, well, babe, I don't want you to feel bad. I don't like the fact that you have so much anxiety and there are lots of things we can do about that. But I am not clinically worried about anything bad happening to your baby at all. Right. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Well, yeah. you know how much healing can take place in that moment? So much. Wow. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's her anxiety is already down from a nine to a six in that instant. Right. So the art of the book then goes into the hows and what's in the hows of how to use this kind of holding for perinatal moms. Yes. So as we already indicated, very long old career. (laughs) As this trajectory keeps moving, I've noticed that I've evolved and my books sort of show it. You know, the early books were all self-help oriented. Mm. The mid books were an overlap between self-help and involving clinicians. So they were sort of dually written where luckily I got a publisher who did not reject the fact that I had a double audience. Mm -hmm. I had some publishers saying, are you writing to clinicians or to the moms? And I said, well, the moms in this case are a bunch of women who really want to know what the heck's going on here Mm -hmm. and they need the same information. So I'm writing to both of them. And most of the publishers said, you can't do that. And the publisher that I now have said, 
what a great idea. So then the books started to bring in both moms, you know, and some of the books, like dropping the baby at the end of each chapter has a note for clinicians, a note for mom. And so it incorporates both of those. And then the more current books have been a little bit more towards the therapist, because Mm -hmm. as I evolve, I've noticed that as more and more clinicians are interested in this process and in doing this work and specializing in it, I notice that something very interesting comes up. And that's how our training has evolved. Mm. And that is that they need holding. Mm-hmm. That this is really tough work. And if you're yeah. going to do it right and you do it well, it's really complicated. Do you know why? Mm. Because most of the therapists in this work are female, mm. not all. But most, most of the therapists in this work have uteruses mm-hmm. and most of the therapists in, who do this work either have children or have wanted children or plan to want children or have lost children or don't want children. They all have mothers and there are issues that are provoked by doing this work that are totally inescapable more so than I think probably any other work, right? So every time you sit with a postpartum woman, whether it's you, me, or, you know, any, we are triggered. Mm -hmm. We are triggered. And it's really complicated work. And so the book, The Holding, is teaching them, yes, the why. Why do we need to hold? Because of the barriers. Because, you know, we talked about before, because women aren't talking about it. Because of the stigma. That's why we have to hold. The how do we do it is in the book. Mm -hmm. What makes this different from other therapy? The specific skill sets that you either think you already have and maybe you need to refine Mm -hmm. or you need to learn how to do it. There are a lot of people who do this work, Kat, that are not great holders. Mm -hmm. And they do the work and then they come to their other therapists like you and me and they say, well, I've had three therapists and they yeah. didn't really help her. Right? Yep. We, so we all know those people out there. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to assume that the providers are coming from a good place or think they're doing well, but really this type of work requires and needs specialized training and specialized perspectives and specialized, like you were saying before, for a mom who hasn't slept in four days, you can't go into talking about like her relationship patterns in her life. Like Mm -hmm. we need to figure out how to get her some sleep and that has to happen first. And those Mm -hmm. types of things are, if someone's not getting the training and not getting the perspectives that you bring in your books and in your training, well, then those moms often end up suffering way more because then they're going to providers and feeling again, like they should be getting relief or should be getting help. And they leave feeling more alone and sometimes even given the wrong diagnosis or the wrong information and are doubly anxious when they leave. Mm-hmm. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. You know, it's very true. And most, and you know, it's hard to just lump all postpartum women into the same, you know, obviously they each have their own personality, their own histories, their own set of symptoms and expectations and so forth. But they usually come in knowing exactly what they need and what they want, and they are easily offended, patronized, and condescended by therapists and doctors who actually believe they're doing the right thing by normalizing. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of professionals and families too, I suspect, really think that they're helping by saying, this is common, this is okay, you'll be fine. You know, right. this is common, this is okay, you'll be fine. Okay, but I can't breathe. Right. But this is common. You'll be okay. You'll be fine. But I'm naked and I am oozing all over the place and nobody (laughs) is listening to me. Yeah. So, again, to protect doctors, they don't have the time that we have. They don't have 45 minutes, an hour. No, No, they don't. Just to sit and and ask those, you know, specific questions. But But I think they can learn to send their patients to us for that kind of help. Exactly. And why that's important. So I was talking about training there for just a second and thinking about the training that you offer. And I believe it's a unique type of training that, you know, there are different sorts of training for perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. But can you tell us a little bit about your structure and what you do with folks who come in? Yeah, I'd love to because I'm constantly going back and forth between feeling like a dinosaur and feeling (laughs) like a trendsetter. And it sort of goes back and forth because... As we've mentioned, there weren't trainings when I started training, and it was really the beginning of let's make sure we're all doing this the same way and doing it well. Now, you know, things have exploded in a wonderful way, and there's so much of all of this all over the place and really great opportunities to get excellent training. Mm -hmm. So now folks are coming to us well-trained you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And so, you know, we're forced to, oh, i got to step this up a little bit. But what <laughs> happens, what I realize, I actually don't have to step it up because what we do that makes it so unique and there doesn't seem to be any way around this 
is that we have a very small group format, which is limited to, we've just let a 10th person in. We've gone from nine to 10. So we've got 10 clinicians sitting around a table and me for two days. And so, you know, although there is a quick review of all the information that I think you should have, and even if you've been well-trained by, you know, other reputable places, I still want to make sure we're all talking about the same thing. But for the most part, the training is really, it just turns into two days of a really amazing support group. And Mm -hmm. we really focus on what it feels like to sit with a postpartum woman. What does it feel like when you've lost your own baby and you have to listen to her talk and about her losses and Mm -hmm. and her sadness and how complicated and how challenging that is that Mm -hmm. I don't think, Kat, we haven't figured out a way how to do that via the internet. There Mm -hmm. is just no way to do what we're doing in any way other than sitting around the table and sharing each other's stories and really exploring what do you say? Literally, what do you say? So we role play it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, well, then what do we say if she does this? Mm -hmm. And how do I know if this is scaring me? What do I do? And so forth. So you could read all the books and you can go to all the trainings. But what we like to describe our training is sort of the next step of just sort of the an intimate look at what it feels like to be in there with her. That's so important because, right, you can get the book training and the, the classroom training, but once you're sitting there with a mom and this stuff comes up, there's very little point of reference to go by, you mm-hmm. know, and so you're trying to figure it out while she's trying to figure it out. That's right. And it's scary. And by the way, even at our training, it's scary. I mean, by the second day, women therapists are saying, I'm definitely excited and inspired, but shit, I had no idea that, you know, I mean, this feels bad. It feels scary because there's so much at stake. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, things like when we tell doctors, if you don't know, if you don't ask every single postpartum woman who walks into your office, whether she's having thoughts of killing herself or not, you have no idea Mm -hmm. if she's thinking of ways to harm herself or not. Right. No idea. Yeah, but she looks really good. This, she does not look like somebody who's going to do Yeah, well, guess what? You know, mm-hmm. postpartum depression is not what it looks like, so not to speak. So we talk about those scary things when somebody comes into our office and looks really good. And five minutes into, after five minutes before she's ready to go, mm-hmm. I mean, I've had sessions even recently where 45 minutes I'm sitting here going, She's looking good. She's sounding good. What am I missing? Mm-hmm. What am I missing? Right. Because I haven't gotten in there because she's not coming here unless something's really wrong. Right. And then, you know, then you get it and then you get it. Mm-hmm. And you say, how bad are you really feeling? Mm-hmm. Really bad. Well, how bad? How bad is really bad? Yeah. And you have to do it with the right language, the right tone, the right mm-hmm. words, the right eye contact, mm-hmm. the right, I'm not letting you out of my office until you f- tell me how bad you feel without mm-hmm. saying those words, right. you know, yeah. so that she knows that she's safe. But back to the training, that's what I think makes it unique. We get tons of requests. Can we do it online? I, I've got people from Australia who want to come. It's expensive. It's hard. It's complicated. And I keep thinking there's got to be a better way to do this. But honestly... Every time we do the training, it's like, this is the best way to do it. Every time I do it, I leave it and think, I've just sent off 10 more clinicians who are going to be awesome Mm -hmm. because they were here. So that's the way it goes for now. Yeah. I mean, you have to come. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I 
Okay. No, not a problem. Right. I mean, I swim in this world and love to swim in this world. And even if I, you know, sometimes now, you know, if I go to talks or trainings, it's the same stuff I've heard, but there's always something new, a new perspective or a new one or two things that can, or, you know, lots of things, whatever the case may be, you don't just go to one training and then you're done exploring this. If you, if you really want to get in there and understand how to help these people, these moms, and by proxy, their families and their babies. Right. Got and to- some therapists will articulate that, cat, and they will wonder, you know, I've been to training, so how will this help me? You know, why will this be different? And should I be coming? And to be honest with you, we do have a really big mix of this therapist who's straight out of school with, you know, two years of clinical experience is sitting next to this person who's been treating perinatal women for 15 years. And that can be off-putting. And what happens is once we get over the initial, I know more than you do kind of thing, we all, including me, learn from each other and the information and and storytelling is growth producing for each of us. So you're right. I mean, we all know, you and I know, and most in this work know that you never stop learning. No, not at all. There's a lot to know. And even in doing this podcast, a half an hour of some information on a specific topic or someone's work, it will take years and years and years to put out one episode a week and cover everything because it's complex. Mom's lives are complex. Getting into motherhood is complex. Then there's the relationship. Then there's the baby. You know, there are so many things to understand and learn about. And I really like this kind of like immersion that you offer where you can get down to the nooks and crannies and kind of get comfortable with being uncomfortable there. Mm-hmm. You just did PR <laughs> for the training. That's ex- Getting comfortable with what's uncomfortable is exactly what we talk about when we talk about the essence of holding. It's mm-hmm. how to sit with suffering, you yeah. know, and that's really hard to do if you're going to do it right. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to do. And so half the book is how to do that. And the other half is how to help yourself do it. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's about holding her Mm -hmm. and about either me or the therapist holding herself so that it enables her to be able to contain those high levels of distress and and suffering, which is, which is hard to do on a regular basis. Right. And so, I mean, I hope that if there are, you know, therapists and providers who are listening that, you know, it's hard to know what we don't know. And that's why training and information and what you offer is so important, but also for the moms who are listening, I hope that this is a glimpse into why it's important to find a trained provider while, you know, providers who are not necessarily trained might be very good therapists, but if they don't know what they're looking for and they don't know specifically what questions to ask, they could be missing quite a few things. And I think you just so beautifully and eloquently were talking about that the whole time. Yeah, I do want to say on top of that, Kat, that moms who are in therapy with a therapist that they love, Mm -hmm. but they're not sure that that therapist has any special training in treating postpartum illnesses, which is very common. Mm -hmm. We hear that a lot. I love my therapist. We do not want you to leave your therapist that you Mm -hmm. love, but there's nothing wrong with taking one of these books to your therapist. You know, Mm -hmm. when Therapy and the Postpartum Woman was first written, I did have lots of moms reading it, and they did take it to their therapist, who was not me, and say, here, let me help you help me. Uh And 
you and I know as a therapist that if a client brings me, I'll be the first person to say, I don't have expertise in something. Right. And if they have a resource for me to help them, that's awesome. So moms who are listening, who, like I said, are connected with somebody that they trust, get a resource, let them know that, you know, they don't have to commit to a whole training, but there are books that can help them help her. Great. So I want people to get all of your books and they can go to the Postpartum Stress Center website and look at all of what you offer there. And you guys who are listening on Twitter at PP Stress Center and Facebook, the Postpartum Stress Center and the website is the same to go and kind of look around and see what kind of books are available and see what speaks to you as a way to support yourself or your provider or your family member even so that you can be getting the support that you need. And Karen, you are a prolific and amazing writer and therapist and trainer. I'm so glad to have you on and share your wisdom with everybody. Kat, I am so thrilled that you do this and that you Thanks. provide this service so that everybody can have access to this information. It's just awesome. So thank you for that. Thanks. All right. Well, thanks for being on with us. And hopefully we'll have you back on again. Wink, wink. Thanks, Kat. My pleasure. By joining us today, you are part of the growing community of people who are aware and concerned for mothers and families during this beautiful and sometimes very difficult time of life. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. You can feel better. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Thank you for listening and being a part of the Mom and Mind community. comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.